Hi, everybody. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, joined, as always, by my trusted colleague, Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. Hope everybody had a happy Thanksgiving. And, Wes, our final show of the week, and that means keys to victory here. Packers-Vikings, Sunday Night Football, U.S. Bank Stadium in downtown Minneapolis, the rematch of Week 2, which ended in a 29-29 overtime tie. Both of these teams need a victory here, Wes. I know the Vikings are one game ahead of the Packers in the standings, but both teams looking at this in a lot of respects as a must-win. Where do you want to start? Well, first off, Mike, I want to start off with that tremendous Thanksgiving dinner that <laughs> right. I had. It's my favorite holiday. I don't know if you know that It's or my not. favorite holiday as well. Trains, planes, and automobiles. Always watch that every year. Tremendous time. Great Office, awesome uh, moments with the family. But now we're back to football, and the Green Bay Packers have an incredibly important game coming up here with the Minnesota Vikings. My biggest key uh, for this particular game all revolves around Aaron Rodgers. Yep. Because if you go back, Mike, the last two encounters with the Vikings have both been surrounding Aaron Rodgers and in his situation and how things are at with him. This rivalry and how it's been kind of brewing over the years with the Vikings and Mike Zimmer and sort of the mental chess match that these two teams have been playing, it's always interesting to see the juxtaposition of how the Packers' offense attacks the Vikings. And if you have Aaron Rodgers for a full 60 minutes, what that does in terms of being able to challenge Mike Zimmer's scheme. I just think that this is the type of game that if you can get Rodgers going, if you can get Devontae Adams going, be multiple like they've been recently with Adams not allowing a defense to really know where he's going to be on any given play. Packers are going to have a lot of success. Aaron Jones is going to be a big part of it too. You have to be able to develop the run. You have to be able to challenge him in the trenches. But I think the Packers, if they're to walk out of U.S. Bank Stadium with a victory on, on Sunday night, Aaron Rodgers has to be a big part of it. Yeah, he definitely does. And maybe this is one of those games like we talked about a few weeks ago with the Rams game, for instance, where this maybe is the type of game Aaron Rodgers has to be the best player on the field in order for the Packers to win. And When you look at Packers-Vikings history in Minneapolis, Wes, whether you're talking the games at the Metrodome or the last couple of games at U.S. Bank Stadium, it seems to always come down to protection of Aaron Rodgers from that pass rush of the Minnesota Vikings that is awfully, awfully good, and a pass rush that sacked Matthew Stafford in U.S. Bank Stadium 10 times um, just a few weeks ago. And I'm not just talking about the broken collarbone from last year, but when yeah. U.S. Bank Stadium opened in 2016, a couple of sack fumble type situations that uh, that really hurt the Packers in that game. And we all know the uh, you know in the Metrodome, which I actually think was an even louder stadium than U.S. Bank Stadium. But when the Vikings would kind of get that defense and that pass rush cranked up. The Packers would uh, would really struggle, even with Brett Favre at quarterback over the years. So um, protecting Aaron Rodgers is a real key here, and it see and it seems that that the majority of the the pressure, and I'm not trying to lay blame on any individuals, but the majority of the pressure Aaron Rodgers seems to face lately is interior pressure. It's the guys coming up from the inside, and then he's just not able to quite escape to the outside like he's done so many times in the past. And I know setting a solid pocket against that pass rush is way easier said than done, but uh, as much as Aaron Jones needs to run the ball and all that. I think it starts. I think it starts with trying to establish as solid a pocket as you can for Rodgers. Yeah, I think it's a great point, Mike. And it's interesting you bring that up because yeah, it's something the Packers have faced, but it's something the NFL in general has had to deal with here uh, in terms of 
defensive coordinators now dialing up more packages for the A gaps, for you know being able to challenge teams at their stress points inside. Uh, Zimmer has been one of the the guys that have been one of the innovators at doing that. But also, you look at the Aaron Donalds of the world now at 14 and a half sacks on a season out of the defensive tackle, right? Uh, in Wade Phillips' scheme, I I was trying to think even you know when you think back to all the years that Phillips has been a defensive coordinator, if he's had a defensive tackle be that productive in his system. Kenny Clark in Green Bay right now on the stretch that he's on going back to last December, right. uh, around 10 sacks now at that point. That's where defenses are really making a big push to to get after the quarterback. Now, the Vikings are a little bit more traditional. You have your Linville Joseph there. That's, that's <laughs> mostly there to be a run stuff or to be a clogger, but they still run concepts with the double-A gap stuff that is going to really – challenge you inside so yeah when you look at Corey Lindsley and, and you know with Byron Bell Lane Taylor whoever that running back is going to be back there with Aaron Rodgers in terms of the pass protection all of it has to be on point because there's so many different ways that the Vikings can attack you yeah and when when you talk about obviously how the Packers are going to attack this Vikings defense you want to see Aaron Rodgers have a smooth and an efficient day and all of that but I'm gonna throw a couple stats at you here Wes I looked up the last three times the Vikings have been beaten at U.S. Bank Stadium three times over the last two seasons or season and a half whatever you want to call it Detroit in week four last year and then Buffalo and New Orleans this season not a one of those three teams had 300 yards of offense in that game to beat Minnesota but you know what happened the turnover margin collectively in those three games was eight to one and the three teams scored 34 points total off of those eight turnovers. That's how you beat Minnesota at U.S. Bank Stadium. You protect the ball, you win the turnover battle, and you turn those turnovers into points. That's the formula. The Packers have done it before. They've done it to other teams. They need to do it on Sunday night. It's funny, too, and you and I talked about it earlier this season with that Bills game, uh, how that played out. Because yeah. you look at the score, and it just looks like a total blowout. But then you look at the box score and the stat sheet, yep. and it was a pretty even ball game. It's not like... You know, I don't know if it was Jared Allen in that game or not, but it's not like LaShawn McCoy. It's not like they just had this huge offensive explosion. It was just taking advantage of some opportunities that the Vikings gave them very early in that game. Yep. And then sort of, you know, kind ride, of, it out, ride it out. Kind of like you and your dad on the golf course in the back <laughs> nine. I mean, you got a couple stroke lead on them. You're just playing safe. You don't want to give that up. Uh, that, that's what that game reminded me of. Yeah. And at the same time, it's also what I think to a certain extent took that crowd out of it a little bit. I. I'm, we're going to get a unique perspective on this, Mike, because last Thursday we were able to be in CenturyLink, and now this weekend we're going to be in U.S. Bank. Yeah. I'm really interested to see if I can tell a tangible difference in the noise level because it's always been kind of considered 1-2, 1A, 1B uh, in terms of the, the, the noise pollution you have to deal with. And it's a good point you bring up because, yeah, I don't think U.S. Bank Stadium is as loud as the Metrodome. I think the Metrodome – but long, far and away was the loudest stadium I've ever been in. I, I yeah. wore noise-canceling headphones the first time I had to cover a game there. But at the same time, uh, it's still a venue that the Packers have to deal with and, and you know kind of persevere through. Yeah, for me, as far as the loudest ones, the Metrodome and the Superdome in New Orleans have, always been, yeah, have, have, right. always, have always been the ones that are right up there for me. Now, as far as outdoor Century Lincoln Seattle takes the cake there. As far as an outdoor, I can't even think of any outdoor stadium that has ever struck totally. me as loud as that one. But um, you know how that gets measured. You know, we'll leave that to the scientists as to exactly which one is louder. But I know 
my ears have really hurt come in games coming out of the Metrodome and the Superdome over the years. The Superdome, Mike, I've only been there once, and it was obviously at the very top of the building. Do you yep. think that's because the press box is open air at the top? Do you think it's that loud on the field too? I'm, I've never really. That, that's a really good that. question because yeah, with the the press box being an open air press box at the top in in the Superdome, you know the you're really catching all the noise because it's just reverberating yeah. off the roof and and so you know I don't know but players teams that you know have talked about playing there as as a road team in New Orleans they definitely they definitely say that the noise is a factor yeah and the Packers are going to have to manage that this weekend and being able to uh, you know effectively. Uh, get off to a fast, consistent start, I think, when you've looked at these matchups. And, again, this goes back to the heyday, too, uh, of, of some of these Packer teams playing in that environment with the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, it's all about trying to get off to a fast start. And if you can get a takeaway in that first quarter and produce points off of it, it's going to set you up for the rest of the game. Yeah, well, uh, I want to get back to that point in uh, just a second. But Packers fans, be sure to stop in at your local Quick Trip and pick up your Packers Cup today. Get 89-cent refills on your Cafe Karuba coffee all season long. You talked about the fast start, Wes. We've seen the Packers do it in Los Angeles, 10 to nothing lead. In Seattle, 14-3 to lead. But they haven't been able to sustain it. Obviously, you know when you're on the road, you're gonna get you're gonna get that comeback. You're gonna get that shift of momentum from the other team. And really, in both instances, the Packers handled it. They they limited it. You know, they fell behind, but not behind by too much, and they were able to stay in the game right until the end. So, as important as important as a fast start is, and you certainly don't want to get behind by multiple scores right. when you're on the road in a venue like this. But the Packers are just are due to play a fourth quarter, aren't they? At some yeah. point here, this fourth quarter thing is going to come together because there's too much talent on the field. This coaching staff is too experienced and has had plenty of success. I just I think this fourth quarter thing is going to get straightened out, and it needs to get straightened out now to keep this season alive in right. a sense. It's it's a great point you make, and I think if you took it in segments, right? If if I just put a blindfold and earmuffs over your head for six months, uh, the last six months, and I brought you out today, and I said, okay, it's week 12, Aaron Rodgers has 19 touchdowns and one interception, Aaron Jones is averaging six yards a carry, Devontae Adams is on pace to have a franchise record for receiving yards and receptions, and Kenny Clark has as many sacks as he has at this point. What's the Packers' record? I think you'd say it would be better than four, five, and one. Yeah. You get those type of performances. Now we know that's not how this game is played. We know that is not how this life is lived. You need complete performances. You have children, right? I'm not Two breaking any news here. Yeah. When when they were smaller, did you ever take them to any of those pottery places at all? Where you like paint the plate? You get like a plate. You ever seen any? No, of those? I actually never. My nephews are really big on that. Okay. And there's one thing I've learned from doing that. You, you can do a really good job for an hour and a half painting it, making it look really nice, and then you put it in the, the little you know fire thing and okay. it looks great. But if you if you smudge it at the beginning, it's tough to overcome it. Yeah. And if you do something at the end or you drop it, it's tough to overcome it. It doesn't matter what happens in the middle. Not it's enough about, time to fix it. Not enough saying. time to fix it. Yeah. So I look at the Packers right now, and you can play really good football. You can play 45, 50 minutes of really good football. But if that beginning isn't where it needs to be and that ending isn't how you need to finish, you're not going to get the result you want. Yeah. I think that's been one of the things for the Packers this year that as a team they've been trying to overcome. And to your original point three and a half minutes ago, you're right. If they can get their finger on it, they're right there. 
mm-hmm. because this isn't Philadelphia and the in the Saints and and they're just getting blown out of the water everywhere right. they're playing. No, they're the not. The Packers have been right in these things, but to beat those teams, Mike, to be on that upper echelon, you have to do it for 61 minutes. And right now the Packers are still trying to find that point. Yeah, and we saw after the bye week, when you look at the road games, because on the road obviously is where the Packers haven't won, and this is what needs to get fixed here with three road games left. It was the bad starts at Washington and at Detroit. Just terrible starts to the games. Packers falling into three, four-score holes in those games. Mike McCarthy then talked about how when they came out of the bye week, started well against the Rams and against the Patriots, they were they were fine there. Started strong against the Seahawks. The starts speak to your preparation, to your team's preparation, getting ready, because so much of the beginning of the game is the stuff that you've repped the most often during the week. So they got that fixed after the bye. They went from these terrible starts on the road to now starting much stronger on the road. So now it now it's just the other end of it. It's it's getting things it's getting things fixed in the fourth quarter. And to me, I was asked a question this week in in insider inbox, you know, the old close only close doesn't count uh, or only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades and all that kind of stuff. Well, the thing the thing that I said is that is that Yes, close doesn't count in the NFL. We know that. There's no excuses for that. But what close does is it tells a bunch of really competitive athletes in a locker room that they don't, it's not some huge sea change that is needed right. in order to start having success. It's, it's, about, it's about sharpen up the little things in your game personally and then be ready to make a clutch play in a clutch moment. That's what that's all this that's all this team needs. One clutch play might have done it against the Rams, against the Patriots, um, certainly against the Seahawks, and it just didn't happen. But we know from what we've seen in the first three quarters of these road games, the talent is there for it to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and I the I keep going back to that tunnel at LA Memorial Coliseum and Clay Matthews with his back up against the wall speaking to reporters and just saying that the most frustrating part about this is you're playing down for down, point for point with a team like the Rams, considered one of the top five, top three teams in the NFL right now. Yeah, and look at what they did Monday night. Right. 54 points. But you don't get it done. And unfortunately, it's not a it's not a fantasy league where it's the all play <laughs> where you just get as many points as you get, and, yeah. and that counts for the second or third most in the league. No, if you play the best and you come up short, it's still a loss. Yeah. So trying to rally back from that right now, I think that's the message. I think all week long the players have been talking about urgency and making sure that they are right where they need to be preparation wise i think we'll see how this game plays out mike i'm not making any predictions on it but i just think you're going to see a lot of laser focus in this contest to make sure that the little things are tied you know shored up everything is tied together the t's are crossed the i's are dotted and you come out with a complete performance if you do that and as you mentioned earlier you get some of those takeaways you're going to get that win on the road that they've been seeking. All righty. Uh, quickly here, Wes, it's time to enter the Cousin Subs best seats in the house promotion. You and a guest could win a chance to kick back on the 50-yard line in style. Two pairs of lucky Packers fans will be chosen prior to each home game for this VIP experience. Enter daily now through December 16, which is coming up soon, by completing the entry form and submitting. For complete rules and eligibility, go to packers.com slash best seats. Cousin Subs, we believe in better. All right, I'm going to throw one other thing at you here today, Wes, to sort of turn the narrative on its head a little bit. We're talking about the noise at U.S. Bank Stadium, how tough a place it can be to play. This is a Minnesota team that's 5-4-1. and one. Mm-hmm. 
they came into this, their fan base anyway, came into this with that Super Bowl or bust mentality, right? Yeah. So 5-4-1, and one, your rival pa- the rival Packers are coming in. Minnesota trying to stay above 500 and all that in, in contention for the NFC North title. If this game is tight late, is there any chance the crowd works against the home team where they get it, nervous? It, they, they, get, they, they, they get uptight a little bit? It could. I think if it's tight, they're still going to be in it because obviously they're, they're trying to, to you know really push them towards a sixth victory on the year. So I see them still working their favor. But it would be interesting to see if you have a slow start in the first half, what that reception's like going into halftime. What happens if you come out in the third quarter and you have a three and out and how they exactly react to that. Yeah. I still think Minnesota's better than the record suggests. I think the Packers are better than the record suggests. I would agree. But the one thing I I don't want to say I've enjoyed, but I can't think of a better word about this, is that there's this perception outside of all-in. Okay, the Vikings moved all-in. They gave all this guaranteed money to Kirk Cousins. You can go in all you want, but if you know anything about poker... That doesn't mean you're winning the hand. It means all your chips are in the middle, and here you are. You're making your move. Just from the Vikings' perspective, and we'll see. There's still a lot of season to be played. Right. But it doesn't all in doesn't guarantee anything. Yeah. You're still going to have to go through your highs and lows of a season. Kirk Cousins is still the quarterback he's been. I mean, he's been was an incredibly effective passer for a number of years with Washington. But, you know, he also had turnovers. They also didn't make the playoffs at times. It's not like it was just, you know... The you know Fran Tarkington just came out of nowhere and he's 30 years old again and he's you know your franchise quarterback. This game is an imperfect game played by imperfect players and it's about finding the closest thing you can get to perfection. That's the only thing about this I've enjoyed is just that this idea that if you go all in it just means you're going to win the Super Bowl. There's 31 teams vying for it besides you. <laughs> yeah. You know it's just the reality of it. Yeah. One thought I want to get from you with regards to the other games on Sunday. I think there's an interesting one in the NFC and that is Seattle at Carolina. Yeah. Seahawks are five and five. Carolina is six and four. Both of them essentially sort of wild card or nothing here because of the Rams and the Saints both running away with those division titles. But two teams that are obviously right in the thick of that wild card race. The game is in Charlotte. Who do you think who do you think wins this one? Well it's it's really interesting you bring this up because they both have that common opponent of Detroit, you know, and, and, and how they performed in those settings. For the Panthers, that was such I have to imagine that was such a demoralizing way to go down. Oh my goodness. Trying to go on the road. And I, I get I we've talked about it. I understood the the thinking of Ron Rivera, but you came up short in a game that I think a lot of people felt you should win. So now you have the Seahawks who, you know, they got a little wind in their sails now after two straight wins. You know, can they keep it there? But if if this if the Carolina ends up losing this, then they have to look themselves in the mirror because you know, now they're at a kind of a crossroads in their season. Yeah, I think this is one of those. If Carolina loses this and falls to six and five, suddenly all of the wild card stuff in the NFC is yeah. just is is absolutely wide open. Not just the first spot, which everybody's kind of penciled them. When Carolina was six and three, everybody kind of penciled them into the number one wild card spot if they weren't going to catch the the Saints right. in their division. But if they lose again here and fall to six and five, then both of the wild card spots are kind of just up for grabs. They are, and it's the reason why I still say if you're the Packers, you got to get every win you can get. Yes, it keeps you within arm's reach of Chicago in the division, but Michael, there's a real strong chance that this division, that this division, there could be a wild card team with nine wins this year. Yep. And with the Packers at nine, six, and one, if you can get to that point, that puts you in the race still. So I, I just think it's it, there's so much parity right now at the NFC. I mean, yes, there's two big front runners. Yep. 
But when you look at what's happening in the NFC East right now and, and then with the wild card in the north, it's, uh, it's all still on the table. All right. Well, with that, we will call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted and send y'all off to your weekend. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team and of Sunday Night Football on Packers.com. On Twitter, he's at Wes Hot. I'm at Mike Spofford, at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.